text today is from the second chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning at the first verse. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written in the, by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. So, as you can see, we will be speaking about the wise men who visited Jesus after his birth. Hopefully you aren't tired of Christmas yet, because we are going to be returning to that story one more time. But if you are tired of Christmas, I can't say I really blame you, because growing up, Christmas was my least favorite holiday. What I didn't like about it, well, obviously I liked it as a kid. I loved the sweets and the gifts. It was always very exciting. But as I started to grow a little bit older, I started to get nauseated by the repetitiveness of Christmas. I didn't like that we always sing the same songs, and we watch the same movies, and we eat the same treats, and we read the same story. I liked everything to be new and exciting, and so Christmas every year became more and more disappointing. But over the past couple years, and especially this year, God has been teaching me a lesson about Christmas. What I've learned is that Christmas, one of the major themes is learning how to respond to him and his work. The birth of Jesus, the son of God becoming a human, was ultimately a promise. God was saying that his son would come and save everyone who put their faith in him. So even before Jesus died for our sins and rose again, he sent his son as a baby and a promise. And humanity was challenged to respond by faith. Now, if I were to go out to the street and ask random people, how would you like to be saved from death? I don't think many would say, no, I've actually been looking forward to death. Sure, there are some people who aren't afraid of death, but most of the time I think that's because they believe in a life after death. And so when God says 
how would you like to be, how would you like to have life after death, you would think that everybody would respond in agreement. So what's the holdup? Well, I think that most people don't like that God tells us in order to be saved from death, you have to be saved from yourself. Because the decisions that you make in your life are leading you toward death. When you try to control your own life. He says, I will save you from death if you let go of your control and rely on my leadership to guide you to everlasting life. And that's the hard pill to swallow. We like our independence. We like making our own choices, choosing our own friends, choosing our own places. What choices in life do you have trouble letting go of? What places do you feel that you would not be able to move to if God wanted you to? What people are you scared he would want you to love and forgive? What freedoms are you scared he would take away? Our passage today discusses this question. How will you respond to God's promise of salvation? Some respond in fear that they're going to lose their control. Some respond in fear of because they are controlled. And some respond in faith despite their fears. Let's see the different results of these three choices by turning to our passage, starting in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. So, in these first two verses, so much has already happened that doesn't really go explained. And I think that's why there's some confusion about who these wise men are. We're told they're from the east, but we don't know much about them. Some people call them the three kings of the Orient, but we now know that they probably were not kings. They probably were more servants in their king's court. Other people call them the Magi, which is true under the real definition of Magi, but I think that many of us think of sorcerers and magicians when we use this word. Truly, these Magi were astrologer priests. They would study the stars in order to hear messages from the gods. And once you understand that, it makes a little bit more sense why they're showing up in Judea asking for the king of the Jews. While studying, for the, studying the stars, they heard a message from the Jewish God through a particularly odd star. And it was such a compelling message that they decided to follow it all the way to Judea, the tiny country. When these magi finally arrived in Judea, they started to search for the baby who was going to be born king of the Jews so that they could worship him. And this is pretty remarkable when you think about it. These non-Jews, priests of false gods, are so compelled by this special star that they make a long and dangerous trek to worship a baby who will one day be the king of a different, possibly even rival, country. 
For me, two questions arise from that. First of all, how did they know that this star was leading them specifically to the king of the Jews? We don't know for sure, but it seems that God spoke to them, either audibly or inaudibly, maybe through their reading of the Jewish scriptures. Whatever the case, they heard this God and they decided to follow his guidance. My second question is, why do they care? Why do they care about a coming king for a different country of a God whom they don't worship? We'll come to that answer in a bit, but let's introduce the other characters of the story back in the passage. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all at Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too, that I too may come and worship him. So the wise men come to Judea, and when they ask for the king of the Jews, they are led to him. They're led to the current king of the Jews, Herod. And Herod believes their story. He believes that they have followed a star that, follow, that is uh, showing that the king of the Jews has been born. But he's troubled by this. He doesn't want somebody to usurp his power. So he calls in his experts, the teachers of the Old Testament law, and asks them, where does it say this king of the Jews is going to be born, this rival king of mine? And they quote Micah to tell him the answer. He tells the wise men he would like to come worship the child as well. But the readers can tell there's, pro- there's probably more dastardly purposes behind this. So Herod is the first person whose response I want to examine. He hears the gospel from these wise men, that the God of the universe has sent his son to be the Christ, the Savior King, who is anointed by God, and to establish peace over Judea and the entire world. And he believed that message. But he didn't respond in faith. Because, like we said, he was afraid of losing his control. And I'm sorry to spoil the end of Matthew 2, but we see that the wise men do not end up reporting Jesus' location, and Herod responds in fear and misery by killing all of the boys in Bethlehem in an attempt to have Jesus, the baby, killed. All the boys, two and under. When Matthew first published this story in his book, the Greek readers of his book would have recognized a regular trope. In the Greek mythology, there are many myths where a king hears a prophecy of a coming heir to the throne who will strip their power away from them. And these kings would always try to have the boy killed to prevent this, and it would always fail. 
The most famous is the story of Percy and King Acrisius. King Acrisius was king of Argos, and he was told a pro- this such a prophecy that a boy, his grandson specifically, would be born and steal his power, take his power away, and even kill him. And according to the fable, Acrisius responded by taking his only daughter, his only child, his daughter, and her grandson, Perseus, and locking them in a wooden box and throwing it into the sea. Luckily, the Greek gods took pity on Perseus and his mother and transported them safely to a different country. And Perseus, he had a good life. He grew into a skilled athlete and even entered into the Olympics for that year, which happened to be hosted by Argos. When he showed up, he had no idea who his grandfather is, and his grandfather had no idea who he is. But his grandfather was in attendance watching the games. And Perseus had an accident where he accidentally threw a discus and struck the audience, specifically the king, killing him. Someone in the town knew that Perseus was his grandson, and he was elected to be the king of Argos. So King Acrisius tries to murder his daughter and his grandson. But his motivation is a little bit more understandable than King Herod's. Because King Acrisius knew that Perseus was going to kill him. But Herod had a different situation. Herod knew that this king of the universe was going to bring peace for the entire world. All he had to do was let go of his control. But he was too afraid. Ultimately, Herod's fear made him hostile to the greatest thing to ever happen to humanity. And it made him miserable. His misery manifested itself in anger and paranoia. He could not enjoy the peace that Christ brought because he did not believe that someone else could bring him peace. He believed that he must have control in order to bring peace about in his own life. But the opposite was true. And how often do we fall into the same trap? It's so hard for us to lose our independence Because in this world, oftentimes that means that we are subject to abuse. And anybody who has been abused by authority might think that the hardest thing about being a child of God is losing that independence and putting their trust in Jesus. As we'll see, this is a fear worth giving over to our holy, loving Father. So I want you to consider for a moment, what parts of your life are you afraid to commit to God? The second interesting response in this passage is that of the teachers of the law. When asked where the baby was going to be born, the king of the Jews, they knew. They knew where their savior would be born because of Micah, the Old Testament prophet who said, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So, these teachers, 
who know the Old Testament prophecies better than anyone, and now know that their king and their savior has just been born in Bethlehem, don't follow the wise men to go worship that king. Why is that? Well, I think that they were struggling with a different kind of fear. They were not afraid of losing their control necessarily, but they were afraid of King Herod and what he might do if they followed and worshipped this rival king. They couldn't overcome that fear, that fear of possible demotion or even death. And so they had misery. They didn't get to worship their king. They didn't get to respond. Some of us may be in this camp. We're not as much afraid of losing control as we are afraid of what other people might think and do if we respond in full devotion to God. It may be family members that you think will shun you. Maybe friends who you think will judge you. It may be social media that you think will think that they will think you were hateful or try to cancel you. Whatever the case, sometimes other people's opinions can hold us back from the opinion that matters most. As we will see, these sacrifices are worth it. But I want you to contemplate whose opinion is holding you back from more devotion to God. And let's finish our passage to see the solution to these fears. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So the wise men find Jesus. Their journey has ended, and they experience joy at being able to worship him. They had followed the star all this way from their country in the east, but at first it had only led them to Judea. They had to stop and ask Herod for for directions because they weren't sure where they were going. But then verse 9 tells us that they continue to follow this star and it leads them to the exact house where Jesus was. This is very interesting and astrologically impossible. And so in other words, it was a miracle. They were led by God miraculously to the house of Jesus by a star that was light years away. Just like the Israelites had been led by a pillar of fire through the wilderness so many years ago. God leads. Earlier I asked why the wise men wanted to travel all the way to praise a king of a different country. This is why. They saw God's miraculous work in the heavens. His prompting and leading in their lives through that star. And they responded in faith. 
they were priests of a different religion, thinking you might think that the other priests would probably shun them when they got back from worshiping a different king and a different god. But they realized that God was the one true God. They lived far from Yahweh's people, and they probably didn't have the scriptures, but they listened to God's guidance in their lives. In this way, these wise men demonstrate their true wisdom. Herod and the teachers responded to the gospel in fear, and it led to their misery. But the wise men choose faith, and it leads to exceeding joy with great joy. Last week, Mark referred to this as mega joy. At the beginning of our worship guide, there's a quote by a French priest named Pierre Teilhard de Chardon, in which he says, Joy is the the infallible sign of the presence of God. Joy is the infallible, unmistakable sign of the presence of God. And there's no better illustration of that truth than this story. The wise men end their long trek by meeting this baby, and they are met with the infallible sign of the presence of God. Great joy with exceeding joyfulness. They trusted his promise of salvation. I like to imagine it as the air curtains of a grocery store when you walk in and you're blasted with the cool air of the AC. In the same way as the wise men walked into this house, they were blasted with an elation that they had never experienced before. Responding to the gospel and faith leads to this exceedingly great joy for all. It's a joy that can exceed your fear of losing control. It's a joy that can exceed your fear of what others might think and do. And as Paul says in Philippians, it is a peace that goes beyond understanding because you don't understand how it could overcome your fears in the way that it does. The wise men didn't worry about the long journey they would have to make to follow God. They didn't worry about the opinion of their kings and their fellow priests who would have gawked at their decision to go worship a different king. They didn't worry about Herod, whether they knew his evil intentions or not. And they did not worry about losing their control and power. None of this held them back from responding to God in faith, and they experienced great unexplainable joy as they worshiped Jesus. Some of you may know that joy is different from happiness. Happiness is more surface level. It's smiling. It's feeling good. Enjoying life. Everything is going well. When when things go wrong, happiness is replaced with sadness. But joy is deeper. It can be present whether happiness or sadness is present. Knowing that Jesus will right every wrong leads to an inner peace and joy that says, yes, everything in my life might be going wrong, but I have a God who loves me and will care for me. Joy is a gift from God that comes with a relationship with Jesus. R.A. Torrey was a great Christian pastor who was born in the 1850s. 
died in the 1930s, I think. He was a very influential man of God at his time, and he was even the dean of one of the most well-known Christian schools in the country, Biola University in Los Angeles. Tori once shared that one of the most tragic events in his life was when his 12-year-old daughter died in an accident. The day after her funeral, Dr. Tori began to contemplate what life would be like without her. How lonely it would feel. How empty the house would be. And all the moments of her growing up that they would never experience. These burdensome thoughts led him to prayer. And this is how he describes what happened next. And just then, this fountain, the Holy Spirit that I had in my heart, broke forth with such power I think I had never experienced before. And it was the most joyful moment I had ever known in my life. Oh, how wonderful is the joy of the Holy Ghost. It is an unspeakable, glorious thing to have your joy, not in things about you, not even in your most dearly loved friends, but to have within you a fountain ever springing up, ever springing up, ever springing up, always springing up 365 days in every year, springing up under all circumstances unto everlasting life. He was still sad, no doubt, but he knew that he could bear it because of the great joy of the Lord. And Jesus tells us that we can have this same joy that the, whole, that the wise men and R.H. Tory experienced. He promises salvation and love, peace and joy that we cannot get from anywhere else. Not even ourselves, and especially not ourselves. Put your faith in Christ, worship him, and see how his presence in your life is all that you've ever needed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all the blessings you've given us. God, I pray that you will help us with the fears. You know that we are anxious people. You know that we have good reasons to have that anxiety. You know how hard it is for us to overcome our need for control because we fear when we let anyone else control us. It often leads to pain, but God, I pray that you will help us to realize that when we put our faith in you and our control into your hands, that leads to a great, inexperienceable joy in any other setting. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us to feel that joy that overcomes our sadness and our pain and our fears, that helps us to deal with the brokenness of this world. God, I pray that you will help us to be wise like the wise men, follow your direction in our lives so that we can experience the kind of joy that can only be experienced by your presence. In your name, amen.